Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, that was one heck of a week, wasn't it? Four games in the books last week for the Avalanche. A lot to talk about here on the show. I'm not happy, and I think you all probably knew that. I'm quite the irrational fan, and especially when it comes to this team, I'm very critical. I've told you that in the past, and we're going to break it down here on the show today. On another note, let's rewind to Sunday. What a day that was, huh? Big shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for reaching Super Bowl 55. Great year for the city of Tampa, isn't it? Lightning win the Stanley Cup. Rays go to the World Series. Now the Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl. Boy, how about that place turning into Titletown a little bit, huh? Anyway, let's get back to the ice, everybody. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. we got a packed show for you here today. A lot to talk about. We'll recap all four games from last week. We're going to take a look ahead to the opponent's Coming up this week in Know Your Foe, Randy Hahn from NBC Sports Bay Area going to join us to talk about the Sharks a little bit. And we'll also preview the Minnesota Wild. Those will be two two-game series this week for Colorado coming up Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. A back-to-back over the weekend. So we'll have another fun weekend of hockey action for the Avalanche. Going to go around the league a little bit later on as well. Get you caught up on everything going on in the NHL. But let's get things started with the one story that caught our attention earlier in the week, of course, right after we debut episode two. The trade is announced that Ian Cole gets shipped to Minnesota for Greg Patteron. A couple of D-men swapped for each other there. We put the Twitter poll up for you and asked the question, do you like the trade? Yes or no? 53% of you chimed in and said, no, you don't like the trade. Well, I know we loved Ian Cole, and you may have loved him for sentimental reasons, But for the most part, let's look at this in the grand scope of building the roster. There's a lot of great D-men coming up for this team, right? Of course we're talking about Connor Timmons. Of course we're talking about Bo Byram. You gotta make room for them. Eric Johnson's coming back. Yeah, he's at the back end of his career. So is Ian Cole. So you gotta make trades like this sometimes to open up the room. You know Patteron's not in the long-term plans. As a matter of fact, by the time we started recording this, I had it all laid out to talk about how Patteron isn't in the long-term plans. He probably won't even be around that long. Next thing you know, right before I hit record, he's waved and he gone. I mean, we wish him well, of course. He, He was a simple piece for that trade to be completed. So his avalanche career lasted less than a week. But good luck to him in his future endeavors. But this was purely for Joe Sackick to start building up that roster defensively. I think we all knew that. A lot of you saying no because you liked Ian Cole. Maybe you said you didn't like it because you weren't a huge fan of Patteron. His play certainly proved that point a little bit. We'll get into that a little bit more as we recap the games from the past week. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm with the 47%. Yes, I think this was a good trade. It was time to send a piece away to make room for the young guys. And we knew Patteron was just going to be a placeholder. He skated with Byram the last couple of games, but didn't really do much. Wasn't great out there. Not going to say he cost them any games, but certainly didn't go well. And that's just the nature of the sport sometimes. Look, everybody in the NHL is a professional. The guy was one of 23 in a league of 31 teams. He's good at this sport. Is he great at the sport? Doesn't look like it. But he's good enough to make an NHL roster. Just wasn't working out with everything else going on. 
and he wasn't really on top of mind. He was just there to placehold for a little bit. Eric Johnson's coming back. Paul Byram's going to figure in the lineup. So we'll leave it at that, and we will move on. So I agree with the 47%. All right, let's take a look at the games from the last week. I've had some time to sleep on it since the game on Sunday night against Anaheim. I was extraordinarily frustrated, as I'm sure a lot of you are out there in Avs Nation. But after going back and kind of reassessing how the game flow went and how everything transpired, I feel a little better now. I've calmed down, and I'm realizing that they're playing well. They just got Gibsoned. They just got Johnny Gibsoned. That's all it was. He's hot right now, and he took him down. All you can do is tip your cap and move on to the next. That was the most recent of the four games. I said it after the second episode that I'm glad the way the two games shaped up to start the year against St. Louis were played in the order that they were. The win came second because it would make me a lot more happy when I started recording this show. And I didn't get my way on these last four. I ended up with a loss at the end, but they did play pretty well. Massively outshot the Ducks in that game. And I told you last week, when they come down here to Southern California, they don't particularly play great. They play uneven. Or they just flat out don't play well. And I think the flat out don't play well didn't occur this time. And they pulled away four out of the possible eight points. It's an okay road trip. You didn't come out of there with a losing record. And when you look at them only playing six games so far, this is more like their preseason. They've got 50 games left. Plenty of time to right the ship, which I don't think needs writing. I think the ship is fine and everybody out there needs to calm down. And that's the first time in my life I've ever said that because I'm usually the one freaking out watching the game, especially when it gets to the third period. Actually, the first two periods so far this season and every game have just been... I, I don't even want to talk about it. But that's why I'm here, so we're going to talk about it. I don't know why I put myself through this, but I guess we'll do it. So we'll go ahead and rewind all the way back to the first game in LA at Staples Center against the Los Angeles Kings. For the third game in a row, the Avs were able to score first, and they scored early. Brandon Saad got his first goal in the Burgundy and Blue from McKinnon and Calvert. And you're thinking right out of the gate, look, we, we know when they come to Southern California, they don't play fantastic. And that certainly wasn't the case in the first game against LA. First period, more frustration. You could see it. Same thing from the St. Louis games. They weren't just coming out and drilling them like you would hope. With all the talent they have, with all the expectations, they just kind of came out ho-hum. But then you looked at the other side, the Kings weren't playing well either. You know it's going to be a long year for them. They couldn't even hold on to the puck for most of the game. They couldn't catch passes. They had a lot of issues. And then the second period rolls around. Avs finally get their legs under them. Taves scores on the power play. Rantanen scores on the power play. How good is this power play? And where the heck was it last year? I know there's new pieces in place right now, but my goodness, do they go out and slap everybody when they have an extra man on the ice. Can't complain about that. If there's one thing that's been great so far this year, it's been that power play. There's frustrating moments during power plays. They're not going to score on every single one of them, no matter how much I would like that to happen. I'm sure all of you would too. But they go up 3-0 at the end of the first two periods, and you think it's smooth sailing all the way from there on out. And the next thing you know, Andreas Athanasiu scores the goal in traffic. Adrian Kempe gets the power play goal. Good passing there by the Kings too on that power play to really open up the play. And now it's 3-2, and now you're back into Nervousville where you're thinking, they cannot possibly blow this game, right? They just can't. Hockey gods were on our side, and they ended up holding off and winning the game by a final count of 3-2 to two to improve to 2-1 and one on the year. 
we talk about three stars and you know the media does their three stars after every game i do my own three stars that's why you listen to this show i make my own decisions and you can agree or disagree don't forget you can go on twitter and do that at eric underscore pesolano and you can follow me on instagram too if you'd like and just rip me a new one for my picks but i'm giving nathan mckinnon the number one star in that game for his pair of helpers devon taves for his power play goal my third star of the game is not an avalanche it is a los angeles king andreas athanasiu boy what a pickup for la this year we don't think LA is going to go very far, but nice for him to be in a place where he can shine alongside Andre Kopitar. Good for the Kings, but in all honesty, nothing really to worry about there, especially when they both take the ice when they go back to Denver. Could be a bloodbath. We'll see. Final game of the series against the Kings was last Thursday, of course. Same thing. Avs come out of the gate. They get the first goal. They've scored first in their first four games. Ranton and nice hustle there gets that loose puck. Nathan McKinnon gets the assist. Kings... Couldn't buy a goal in that first period. Kept drawing iron, so that was a, a huge friend of Hunter Mishka who got the start in that game. We're going to talk about his play in a little bit. Kings get a power play. Avs get a power, a couple of power plays, as a matter of fact. McKinnon gets that power play snipe right in front of Drew Doughty, who had to watch that thing just whiz on by him. McCarr and Ranton and get the assist. It's 2-0 Avalanche at the end of the first period. Avs score on the power play again. They go 1-2 for two in that opening frame. And then in the second period... This was all L.A. I mean, Jonathan Quick wakes up. The guy's out there with a slinky for a spine in that second period. He was standing on his head early on in that frame. Kings get a power play. They go 5-on-3 after Patterns called for tripping. And Drew Doughty gets himself a one-timer on a 5-on-3 situation that Mishka did all he could. I mean, that kid was out there doing everything possible to keep that puck out of the net. You know, 5-on-3. You get lucky to kill those things off every now and again, and you really have to hustle and really stay in position. But at some point, if you got a team who knows what they're doing with a two-man advantage, and the Kings certainly did on that particular power play, you're going to find yourself in trouble real quick. And that's what happened. Mishka couldn't get to it, and it's 2-1. to one. So then you move on. Later in the second, Velarde gets himself a goal, which was in a very similar spot to where Doughty had his one-timer on that power play. And now the game's even, and it's down to... The final 20 minutes of who's going to come out and take this one. And it was not the Avalanche. They just could not get anything going. They had a power play early in the period. Could not score. And then later on, Adrian Kempe in front. Really good body position too when he was able to poke that one in the back of the net. Then the Avs had a chance. Pulled the goaltender. Mishka went to the ice. They had a chance. And they hit a post when they had the extra attacker on, but Lazat was able to knock in that empty netter and finish things up as the Kings won that one 4-2. And for the second straight series to open the year, the Avalanche end up splitting with their opponents. So now they're 2-2 two two on the year at this point, headed further south into Southern California, taking on the Anaheim Ducks. Again, right in my backyard, a place where historically they just haven't been great. They hold the all-time series against the Ducks and quite handily, but coming down to Anaheim has been a wildly different story. So we take a look at the game from Friday night. Again out of the gate, Avs hustle, get themselves a power play. Jonas Donskoy gets the goal. Five games, Avs score first to open the year. So they're getting out of the gate well, even though sometimes it doesn't look like the energy level is there. They're still doing everything right and getting that first tally and attacking the net right within the first, you know, two, three minutes or so, and they're getting the job done. You just wish you would see that for the rest of the game. It's just right, right out of the, the get-go. They've looked great. Ducks had a couple of power plays in, in that first period. Penalty kill looked great for the Avs. They didn't allow anything. 
They had the first five shots on goal the game, too, before those two Ducks power plays. The Ducks power play, though, I mean, if we're being honest, my my goodness. At this point, when they had failed to score on those two in that first period, they were 0 for 9 on the year. It's just been nothing but futility for Anaheim on that man advantage. So there were a lot of times where you weren't even upset that the Avs took a penalty here every now and again against Anaheim. Second period begins, one nothing game. Hampus Lindholm with an absolute rocket. And he put a little bit more energy into the play than the defense did. And he was able to get that equalizer to make it 1-1. Couple of power plays in the period. Anaheim went on a 5-on-3. So the Avs now down two men for the second straight game. But this time, and we've seen that Anaheim power play, it ain't great. And that's exactly what the Avs did. They were able to kill it off. But they still could not get any offense going. And they were just kind of holding on defensively that Ben don't break attitude that seems to have come across the team over the first few games. They take a penalty. At the end of the period, does Anaheim. Comtois got called for slashing, so the Avs got to go to the second period with a power play, but they weren't able to do anything. They had a two-on-one in front, and that's when John Gibson really started to feel like John Gibson when he had that big save on the two-on-one break there early in the second period, down a man. You could tell at this point, though, the chemistry was picking up a little bit for Colorado. Passes were much more crisp, they were moving the puck around, moving without the puck, which is so underrated. And it's not at the same time. You gotta move when you don't have the biscuit. You hear analysts talk about this on television a lot of the time, but for the casual fan, you don't really think about this kind of stuff. I challenge you to watch the other four skaters on the ice during the next couple nights against San Jose, and watch... The other four skaters move when they don't have the puck. Going to the right position. Drawing defenders away from the puck carrier. Opening up space for other teammates to fill. Keep an eye on that. It's one thing I've said about all of sports my entire life. If you really want to learn how to appreciate the game, don't watch the ball. Don't watch the puck. Look away from the action. That's when you're really going to learn the ins and outs of the game that you love to watch. So at this point, we're 1-1 here in the second period. Rantanen gets a goal from Bo Byram to give them a 2-1 lead. First career point for Bo. He gets it in Southern California. And then not much longer later, Adam Henrique comes right back. The defense could not retreat on a play in the neutral zone, of course. And Anaheim ends up tying the game up at two goals apiece. So we're 2-2. We head to the third period. And John Gibson does it again. He stands on his head. And he keeps the period scoreless. Phil Grubauer didn't have to do a ton there in that third period. He stopped 11 shots in the third. None of them were too terribly challenging, in in my opinion. John Gibson had to save the world in that third period to keep Anaheim in the game because the Avalanche finally started to click and say, all right, here we go, time to go to work. We go to overtime. First overtime game of the year for the Avs. First guaranteed point they had before the game ended. Gabe Landeskog on a play in which I cannot explain to you what all three ducks on the ice were doing. But I'll tell you what, Fowler and Silverberg there back defensively in front of their net. It's like they were standing there watching a the play and were in awe of what Gabe Landeskog was about to do. Hey, they got to witness it. Wrap around from behind the net. Gibson tried to get that left pad over. Couldn't get it outside of the goal line. He got it all the way to the post where he wanted. But that little L shape between your foot and your shin is what did him in. That little gap right there left just enough room for Gabe to poke it in. Avs get the win. First overtime victory of the year. They win it 3-2. to two, And they pick up the two points. Three stars in that game. Again, I, I was different than a lot of people. 
with the three stars. I think Miko Rantanen was the number three star of that game with a goal. Gabe Landeskog with his goal and assist. Passed Dale Hunter for ninth in team history in points. 465 uh, by the conclusion of this first game against Anaheim. But the number one star had to be Phil Grubauer. 36 stops in 38 attempts. He did exactly what John Gibson did to them the next night. And let's talk about that one and get it over with before I get upset. For the first time this season, the opponent scores first against Colorado. Jakob Silverberg off the draw from Henrique. It was very quick. Grubauer was not ready for it. And from then on out, for the most part, it was pretty much all Anaheim. Rest of that first period, Avs couldn't get anything going. Now here's the interesting part. They outshot Anaheim 13-7. to You could finally start to see the offense start to move the way we expected them to before the season started. They've played a few games now. There was no preseason. So you get a few games under your belt. Now you can start finally meshing and getting into your rhythm a little bit. And they took it to Anaheim the rest of the night. They really did. But they just could not break through. Nazem Kadri in that second period fell asleep on a backdoor pass that Ryan Getzlaff was able to find Ricard Raquel to bury it, make it 2-0 Anaheim. A couple of power plays, one for each team in the frame, but nothing doing there. So we head to the third period down two. Miko Rantanen gets that big rebound off the Nate McKinnon shot. That was after they failed to convert on a power play earlier. Then the Ducks go on the power play. They get nothing. Now we're looking at 2-1 with a chance here. So Grubauer gets pulled. They go with the empty net. Extra attacker and Hampus Lindholm, who... I don't want to get too graphic here, but they were very big for him to shoot it from about 185 feet away from an empty net. And he put it right on the button. Avs got a little lazy with the puck in the final minute and a half with the extra attacker on. And it ended up costing him in the end. Anaheim wins 3-1. to one. Energy level for me, still a little low. But the offense was clicking. It was working. They just got Gibsoned. He was the number one star of that game. There's no debate about it. He was the best player on the ice all night. So the Avs drop that one. They go 2-2 two and two on the road trip to Southern California. They split with the Kings. They split with the Ducks. I told you this could happen. And it did. Hopefully this leads to the bigger and the better. And that's, that's going to be the most important thing going forward. I mean, that offense is finally starting to find its groove. You're not going to run into John Gibson every night from now on. You're going to see him, I would say, maybe four or five more times. I, I'd imagine he's not going to start one or two of the remaining Six they have against one another. Ryan Miller will probably get a crack at it. Nice effort from the Avs all around. When you look at the grand scope of the game, just wasn't enough to get the W. So they stand now at 3-3 three and three on the year. Six points. Hanging out right in the middle of the West. Long way to go. Still think they're going to win this division. We'll see how they fare against teams like Vegas. Teams like St. Louis. We already saw them against the Blues. They split there. Boy, if they put up another snowman on St. Louis. Could be a long year for the teams at the top of the West. And maybe everybody else in that Honda West division. So before we get to know your foe, I, I did want to quickly take a look at, at Bo Byram and Hunter Mishka, two guys who are young and are fairly new to this team. Byram, of course, brand new to the team. Hunter's been here for a little bit. So Mishka gets the start. I think he played fantastic in that game against LA. I think his defense hung him out to dry a few times, especially when they had that five on three, when they were down two men and he did what he could. I think he put in a very, very solid effort. Does he have a shot to be the number two guy? No. When Francois gets healthy, he'll be the guy. He'll be back. It'll be Gru. It'll be Frankie the rest of the way. But he's done himself some service with his performance in that game against LA in a very viable third option. And, you know, I, I praised Michael Hutchinson for everything he did in the playoffs last year and doing what he can. You see, Mishka's got a lot of that spark in him. 
there from that game. So good on him. On the other side, Bo Byram, what can you say about the kid? He's getting more confident as the games progress. His first game, he was a little tentative. He didn't want to really stick his nose in. And, you know, you you see that with anybody who's got a brand new job. (laughs) If we're relating to the rest of us. You don't really want to do too much. You just want to go out there and, and be okay. Do what coach says. And then as the games progress, now you see him driving to the net a little bit when he's got an opportunity. He will skate down toward that goal line and try to find a teammate in the middle. Defensively, he's in pretty good position. Took a penalty on his first shift in the NHL. But of course, those are the growing pains that he's going to go through this year. But he looks good, and he will only continue to improve. So no worries there. Don't worry about him. He's going to be just fine. Overall, those two guys, good job on them. Really enjoyed watching them out there. And look forward to everything that uh, they're going to bring to this team going forward. All right, it's time for Know Your Foe here on the Believe in Avalanche podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And I am so excited to have joining us here to preview the San Jose Sharks. It's Randy Hahn from NBC Sports Bay Area. Randy, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Eric. Good to be here. Before we get things started, we're going to talk a little bit about the Sharks and everything going on this season. The big thing I got to ask you, I was just able to turn over to the end of the game on Sunday night and caught Brent Burns' magnificent goal. I heard your reaction, but in your own (laughs) mind and your own words, explain to us what you saw and how you were feeling in the moment. Well, I have to preface it by saying the best thing about what we do, and I say we, us play-by-play guys in live sports, um, are you going to see, you know, just another ho-hum regular season NHL game? Are you going to see a game that sucks and you can't wait till it ends? Because sometimes that happens. Um, Or are you going to see something special? And then are you going to see something unforgettable? And that one borders on special and unforgettable. Uh, That goal um, by Brent Burns against his old team, the Minnesota Wild, which turned out to be the game-winning goal. And that's what took it from, um, you know, a a, a great goal to something special because it it had meaning. But, uh, you know, it's sometimes hard in a game that's not close to stay in the moment on every puck drop and every face off that could turn into a goal. But when a game is close, then, then that's when, you know, we're just, uh, we're animals of habit. And that's when you're, you know, it's third period and the game's on the line and you're focused on every touch. Right. And it's a little harder right now because we're calling them off a TV monitor. So I'm not at that game in St. Paul and I'm calling it off a screen and I don't have any additional screens. I just have the same one that everyone's watching on TV but you have to stay in that moment. And uh, I was just on it, fortunately. Um, Brett Hedekin, my uh, outstanding color commentator, Stanley Cup champion, um, you know, was out of the way. And I just called that goal and it was incredibly special. Um, The probably better way to describe it was that it was filthy. (laughs) It was... (laughs) It was filthy. Somebody said online it was filthier than a Florida motel room after spring break. Um, it was, it was <laughs> filthy. Um, and it was just such a special goal. And for a man who's 6'5", 220, 
to have hands like that and just the hockey instincts. Because if you go back and look at the goal, he essentially has the entire Minnesota Wild team around him. So it's one on six because it's the five skaters and Kakinen, the goalie. And he undresses all these stick-checking guys. And then finally, and I thought once he got it to the forehand, like he went forehand, backhand, forehand. And when he went to forehand, I thought, this is the shot. And then he went one more dangle backhand and lifted a top shelf where mama hides the vaccine. And um, it was just absolutely ridiculous. It was the game-winning goal. And it was something that the Sharks fan base, I think, really needed. I know it's only six games deep into this most unusual of seasons, but, you know, because of the long layoff and the Sharks not being one of the return-to-play teams and they hadn't been in action since March, you know, you're talking almost a year. And that's a lot of separation for the fans from their team and from the players they love. And for Burns to do that, it kind of woke everybody up and said, the Sharks are back, hockey's back, and look what this crazy Wookiee just did. You know, watching it, it, it was one of those plays that makes you feel like a kid again. And I can certainly hear it in your voice, so I can only imagine what it was like for your whole crew up there. But uh, my girlfriend's from the Bay Area. She's a huge Sharks fan. And we all jumped out of our seats when it happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad something like that, like you say, happens to kind of boost the team and get them going. You look at the Avalanche and the Sharks, their paths so far this season. They both played six games. They're both three and three. And strangely enough, if you match up each of their games so far this year, they've done the opposite during every game. So when the Avs have won, the Sharks have lost. When the Sharks won, the Avs have lost. Obviously, that trend is going to continue over the next two nights when they play each other. Uh, but after last season and everything that went down, not being able to go to the bubble, I, I would say not qualifying, but really it was just a selection process, right? After experiencing that, Joe Thornton's gone. Patrick Marlowe comes back. How has the mood of the team been after not playing so long and having all that changeover in such a, I guess it wasn't a short period of time, but a lot to happen before they finally got to touch the ice again. Well, the mood really started to change in a big way last year when Joe Babelski left um, because he's, and we're seeing it now in the way he's playing for Dallas. What a, what a clutch player he is. What an underrated player he is drafted so late and he was too small and too slow and, uh, all his life at every level, even in high school, he was too small and too slow. And at every level he's been at high school, um, USHL college, every level NHL, the one asterisk he's become, he's made the team, he's become the captain and he's won a championship. That's happened at every level of his career, except the NHL in the only thing missing is the championship. And, um, that started last year. So that was a big piece gone. And then when you take Joe Thornton out of a dressing room that he basically has run for the last 15 years, that's two big leadership pieces um, out of the room. Logan Couture was named captain last year, but Thornton was still here. And, you know, he, Logan will probably tell you this too. He, would, he had the C on his chest, but Joe, it was Joe's dressing room. I mean, he's just such a gregarious Hall of Famer. 
Um, so with Thornton gone, there was a, a void, but also an opportunity for, Thor for uh, Couture to, you know, really establish himself. And he's not a rah-rah uh, talker, but um, he always comes through on the ice, especially in the playoffs, as Avs fans will recall from a couple of years ago in the conference final. And, um, and, and now we're seeing some of the other um, players, new and previous holdovers, kind of fill that, uh, that leadership void as well. But it's, it's a very different feel. It's a very different vibe throw in two factors, one that everybody's dealing with, a 56-game season in this crazy environment where there's virtually no fans anywhere. There's no fans to the point that Arizona leads the league in attendance. Um, and, um, and then for the Sharks, being the only team out of 31 that can't play at home. So they, by design, started the season on an eight-game road trip. But now the two home games that are coming up against Vegas on uh, February 1st and 3rd are going to be played in Glendale, Arizona. So they're going to be road games for the team. And then four road games after that. So this team will start the season on a 14-game road trip. Wow. So you throw that into the whole mix of things, and it's a crazy thing. But you know what's even crazier and, you know, some of this is wishful thinking. But, you know, maybe that's what a team that seemed kind of fractured last year. The, there was no chemistry. The winning attitude that this franchise has had for a long, long time. Uh, you know, 15 out of 16 years until last year they made the playoffs. That's a pretty good run. And that winning culture was fractured. So maybe... If we are talking again in March or April and the Sharks are hanging in there and, and vying for a playoff spot, we'll look back on this as being exactly what they needed. And that was these guys being forced together uh, in a closed environment uh, and rebuilding their uh, winning culture. We'll see. Let's talk a little bit about X's and O's real quick. It's taken a lot of goals to win a game that the Sharks have been involved in so far this year. As a matter of fact, five out of their six, it took at least four to win the game. The only one that didn't was that 2-1 win over the Blues in a shootout. So you look at the team offensively. They don't have anybody right now who's standing out and just, you know, being world breakers that's putting the puck in the back of the net. You're going up against a Colorado team that has several players that can do so, but they haven't looked all that great the last couple of days either. So what do you expect when these two teams meet on the ice and, you know, looking back at that seven-game conference final from a couple of years ago, is there any bad blood that still exists? Well, I don't know about uh, bad blood. I, and that might come out by the time we get to game two. Uh, I think both these teams are trying to find their game. I think the Avalanche are going to be an elite team very soon, within weeks, because I think, you know, if you, if you look at it, we're, what are we, six games deep for most teams right now? That's about what preseason normally is. So it takes a while for things to come back together, even for championship teams. Uh, and I think the Avs are going to be fine, and I think they're going to be battling, in my view, with Vegas for the, the Western Division crown all year. And it's just a matter of time before that happens uh, when you look at the talent the Avalanche have. And this, of course, is predicated on injuries and things like that too, and, and goaltending, which is – 
uh, you know, an injury uh, issue with the avalanche a little bit now with Francis, but um, I, I think the Sharks are in a different spot. They're trying to uh, reclaim uh, some of their standing players like Eric Carlson, players like Brent Burns. Uh, you know, if you look at the Sharks on paper, their roster is not that bad. They've got some, they've got some guys who like the lamp. Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, Tomas Hurdle, Evander Kane. These guys are all dangerous scorers. Uh, but like the Avs, secondary scoring, that becomes a little bit of an issue. And uh, that's why a guy like Ryan Donato scoring a couple of goals for the Sharks is a big deal. That's why if a, if a kid like Noah Gregor can score, if Marlowe can chip in once in a while and they can get some of that secondary scoring, and if those big guns on D... As the abs are relying on guys like uh, Makar and and others uh, uh, come through, then uh, you know you you look at the offense favorably. But uh, you know I still think that the the Sharks are about to encounter their toughest challenge so far because they're playing Colorado and then they play Vegas in their next four games. So that to me that's the cream of the Western Division crop, and uh, the hope. I think for the Sharks, and Bob Bugner, the head coach, said this at the beginning of the year, the, the, the short-term goal is to start well. The long-term goal is to make the playoffs. And when you're playing 14 straight on the road, in my view, starting well would be 500. So if they can end up with 14 points after 14 games and then all the backloaded uh, you know, home games at the end, they give themselves a chance. You know, this, this West division is, is something to watch. How is, exciting is it for you now that you get to watch all of these teams knock each other's brains out eight times against each other throughout this 56-game schedule? Well, it, it's great right now. I, ha- I have a fear that uh, there's two ways it can go. Um, I'm actually looking to the, the Sharks have three occasions where they play the same team four times in a row. So that's when I think we could really see some of the nasty or – and I've talked to some, um, you know, retired players about this. Boredom could also set in. You're playing the same teams again and again and again. And then <laughs> the first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be against them. So, for example, uh, if the Abs play San Jose eight times and then they meet in the first round of the playoffs, let's say it's a 4-1 matchup and it goes seven games, they're going to play 15 times. So, yeah, there's nasty, but then there's also, like, not again with JT Comfer, you know, like I'm done with him. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see how it, it plays out. It's a, it's a great concept that, you know, it brings out the nasty, but we could also – boredom could set in, too, for the guys. We'll see. You know, I know there's not as much face-to-face contact during gameplay in baseball, but I wonder if any of these guys are going to call some Major League Baseball players up and say, how do you deal with this over and over and over again throughout a season? Randy Hahn from NBC Sports Bay Area taking a look at the Sharks. He's the play-by-play voice on TV. Check him out. Randy, thanks so much for your time. Good luck to you, Scott and Brett, the rest of the way, and the rest of your crew also, and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Again, big thank you to Randy Hahn for joining me here on the show today. Got San Jose on Tuesday and Thursday night this week. Should be a fun time. It always is when the Sharks come to town. Two games set at Ball Arena in Denver before the Avs head back out on the road over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday when they head to St. Paul to take on the Minnesota Wild. Let's take a look at these Minnesota Wild 
so far this season. They are 4-2 and two on the year, so they're ahead of the Avs in the standings. Last year, 35-27-7 before they headed to the bubble, but in that qualifying round, they fell three games to one in that best-of-five series, and their season came to an end. We fast-forward to this year throughout their first six games. They split with the Kings. They beat them 4-3 twice in overtime <laughs> to start the year. Then they split with the Ducks, and then they split with the Sharks. So they've split their last couple series just like the Avalanche have. Their game on Sunday night, you heard Randy Hahn talking about that goal that Brent Burns had late in the third period to salt things away. Well, the Wild were competitive, but they just couldn't quite break through there in the end. The Sharks, who were scoring a, a good amount of goals here to start this season, couldn't be held down. For the Wild, they're going to take on the Kings two more times this week before... They host the Avalanche over the weekend, so we'll keep an eye on those two games. So far this year, at this point in time, Joel Erickson-Eck is their leading goal scorer. He's got three on the year. Ryan Suter and Kirill Kaprizov have five assists each. They're up near the top of the leaderboard in the NHL in that category. Let's talk about this Kirill Kaprizov, who's kind of taken the wild by storm. And I think everybody in the state of hockey has taken notice to the Russian kid who was drafted in the 2015 entry draft, 135th overall by the wild. He was in the KHL for a while before he came over here to the NHL, made his debut against the Los Angeles Kings, had three points and the game-winning overtime goal in his debut. He was the first player in NHL to have at least three points, including a game-winning overtime goal in his NHL debut, so he can hang that one up on his resume. Nice debut for him. Did you see this video of him working on the ice in practice? He was flipping the puck from behind the net, over the top of the net, and then swinging his stick like a baseball bat to try to knock that puck in the air into the net. I've never seen anybody practice that before, but he certainly was doing that. And if he whips this out in a game, I'm done. I'm retiring from this. I, I cannot see anybody in the NHL pulling this off. If he does it, I'm going to have to buy his jersey. I'm going to do it. Avs fans, I, I, I hate to say it. I know how we feel about the Wild. They ended Patrick Waugh's career. I'll never forgive them for that. But if there's two things they got going for them, one, it's this kid Kaprizov. And two, they might have the best logo in the league. They might have the best logo in the history of the league. I got a good friend who's a big Hartford Whalers fan. Refuses to root for any other team any, anymore going forward. Thinks the Whalers have the best logo of all time. I don't know, this Wild logo's pretty awesome. The Avs logo's pretty awesome too. But the Wild, I mean, come on. Alright, that's enough of that. You know what, send me your thoughts on Twitter. I can't get over this. Send me your thoughts on Twitter, at Eric underscore Pesolano. And let me know who's got the best logo in the NHL, currently and all time. I don't care. Give me your thoughts. We'll talk about it next week on the show. I'll read off some of your, your thoughts. Anyway, back to what actually matters, playing on the ice. So we talk about Kaprizov and, and what he brings to this team. Look at the goaltending situation with Minnesota. Capo Kakinen and Cam Talbot will be splitting time in net for the Wild. They both have two wins so far this season. For Talbot, he's on his fifth NHL team, played for the Rangers, Oilers, Flyers and Flames in his career out of the University of Alabama, Huntsville. Boy, you don't hear that too often. He's been in the league since 2013 for Kakinen. Middle of the road so far in goals against average as far as the league is concerned. Made his NHL debut in 2019, right around Thanksgiving. Played five games that year before coming into this new season. So we'll see what it's going to be. Are they going to play them both? I'd imagine they will because the games against Colorado are on Saturday and Sunday. Back-to-backs. Probably see Kakinen one night, Talbot the other. So you can keep an eye out for both of them. Should be a fun week. Four games on the docket for the Colorado Avalanche once again. And then we'll recap it for you next Tuesday. 
Real quick, before we take off, let's take a look around the league. couple things going on this week. One of the stories early in the week had to do with the tracking pucks that they had been using in the NHL to track players' performances. Apparently there was a manufacturing issue. Pucks weren't sliding on the ice. A lot of players were complaining about it. They have pulled those out of play for now. They will eventually get a new shipment in and get those puck trackers back out there. That was one story that surfaced. The big trade, of course, during the week. How about this? Pierre-Luc Dubois finally ending his drama with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sent off to the Winnipeg Jets for Patrick Laine, who finally ended his drama with the Jets. There's a lot of times, you see it in all sports, where two players, they just need a change of scenery. And that may be the case for these two gentlemen. We'll see how it turns out. Avalanche don't have to worry about the Winnipeg Jets this year. They're outside of the division due to realignment. Jets in the Northern Division. And on a lighter note, before we sign off, probably saw a video of this. How would you like to have a Super Bowl champion in your lineup? Marshawn Lynch strapping on the skates and skating around with the A on his chest. <laughs> I don't know how that happened or where he got the idea, but I will tell you this. He didn't fall down. The video was short, but he didn't fall down. He looked like he could hold his own out there. He knew what he was doing. Now, I don't know what the equivalent in the NHL is to giving the guy the ball at the one-yard line with a championship on the line. I don't really think there is an equivalent, but... Maybe Coach Bednar can let him strap up for a preseason game next year. See what he can do. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Terrible idea. Nobody listens to my ideas anyway because they're dumb. That's evidence right there. Fun to watch. Nice little piece there for Marshawn to get on the ice. Hopefully you all saw it. Well, that's going to do it for us here today on the show. Thanks so much for joining us again. Don't forget, you can go on Twitter and follow me at Eric underscore Pesolano. Same handle on Instagram if you so desire. You can also follow the show at Believe in Avs on Twitter, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And we're going to put some more polls up during the week. Let me know your thoughts on the NHL's all-time greatest logo and best current logo. I want to hear that too. Send them my way. But until next time, you have been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.